I wonder how many of us were born somewhere other than Canada. Just wave if you were born somewhere else. Where were you born? Call out the places you were born. Poland. Poland. Wales. Wales. Scotland. Scotland. Jamaica. Jamaica. Curacao. Mexico. And where was back there? Curacao. Curacao. Wow. I didn't even hear England, and yet there are a bunch of English people here. Right? There, there. There's one. There's one. There's one. All over the place. So I was not born in Canada, and as those of you who similarly were not, um, Canadian culture looked like Irish culture from the outside, um, but very soon you realize that you're not part of, and we're going to talk about the host culture today, you begin to realize that you maybe don't belong. So my dad um, was going into the ministry by coming to Canada, and the first church that he um, candidated at, uh, we were there for a weekend so that he could preach and they could meet my mom and all that kind of stuff. And we stayed in the house of this lovely family. And I was the first one to the kitchen for breakfast. And to my delight, the lady that was hosting us placed a whole platter of eggs right in front of me. And see, in Ireland, you don't serve out of a common dish or casserole, you serve everybody individually. So I assumed all the eggs were for me, and I ate them all. She walked by, and sort of I saw her raise her eyebrows, and she just went back and cooked more eggs. I thought, this is a great place. <laughs> My dad had a couple of faux pas. He asked her at one point if she would like help washing up, and she said, um, do you mean helping do the dishes? Yeah, that's what I mean, washing up. She says, well, over here, that means something different from that. So, okay. And the last thing he said as he was saying farewell in the church was he had never seen so many homely women in his life. <laughs> because in Ireland, homely means homie. Right. So I, I thought I had licked this whole figuring out the host culture. And then I moved to Florida. And on the way to Florida is Tennessee. And we stopped for for gas at a gas station. And the, the fellow came up to the, the window and said, how's y'all? And I said, I've cut this. Fine, thank you very much. How are you? He looked at me and says, I said, how's y'all? I said, fine. Um, how are you? He said, open your hood, I'll check y'all. <laughs> we are looking at the realization of a host culture needing to welcome a new culture in and being resistant. So it's through no fault of the place you were born or the ways of that place um, that there's a certain way that they understand things and do things. And you didn't grow up there. You don't do it that way. And so there's just a little bit of friction, or sometimes a lot of friction. And that's what was happening in Acts chapter 11. So here's just a little bit of what Ranza has graphically described to us. Um, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven, 
by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. The host culture was Jewish Christianity. So it was even after the whole Jewish culture, but now it's a new emerging host culture um, that we would call Jewish Christianity. As far as they were concerned, Christ was the Messiah for the Jews. He died for the Jews, and they were invited to follow him. And so the, the early followers of Christ were all Jewish, as would be expected. It didn't dawn on them that Gentiles would ever be included in this new host culture um, until Peter had an awakening um, that needed to be reinforced three times where a voice from heaven spoke to him and told him to do something that he thought was impure. He had been trained to think it was impure. It was of no fault of his own that he believed that the dietary laws of the Jewish faith were incumbent also upon Jewish Christians. Um, he, he would just assume, uh, as, as many did, that Christianity now was, it was kind of a sect of Judaism. It wasn't a, a completely different thing. It was a renewed movement of Judaism. And so probably the same rules might apply. I want to just talk today about three things that are true of a host culture and that we might learn um, to our benefit and also to the benefit of ministry in the church here. Uh, the, the first thing that I think about, about host culture is that it, it's something that is marked with privilege. And you, you may not think of yourself as a person of privilege, but in many ways you probably are. Um, and where you live, the culture you grew up in, privilege is the, the understanding that you know how things work. You know uh, what happens after this begins. You, you know what the protocols are. You know how to greet people, just as simple as that. You, you know you have the privilege of having grown up in a familiar place now to you. And the way that you do things is the way that everybody do things, does things. And the things that you believe are the things that everybody believes. So if a newcomer comes walking into your orbit, um, you have a bit of a sort of a, a second look and say, okay, okay now you're, you're a little bit different from me. You, you do things a little differently. You talk a little differently. You walk a little differently. What's different about you? That person does not come from privilege. That person comes from a disadvantage, um, to whatever degree we would express that disadvantage. That person doesn't know the rules. I have an Ethiopian friend, and when he was, first of all, employed in Toronto, he, um, when people would come into the office, it was a large office, and when people would come in, Daniel would stand up and would go and would do the handshake um, and then go sit down. 
And if that person came back again, he would get up again and walk over and shake the person's hand. And if the person came in a third time, Daniel would get up and walk over and shake his hand. And he said to me, Ian, I didn't know you only had to shake people's hands once. Right? Because he wasn't of the privilege of knowing that that's the way you do things. So Peter was someone who was steeped in privilege. So privilege, not necessarily a pejorative term, but it's just an understanding that there's a place that you belong and you know how things work. Peter said, I'm not ever going to eat anything unclean. I know that that's the way we do it. I know that nothing impure has ever been in my mouth or ever will be in my mouth. So if you want to tell me I should eat that stuff that came out of the heavens on a sheet, no way. That's just not how we do things in the Jewish faith. That's not how we do things even in the Jewish Christian faith because we know how things work. We know how things are. So two more times, God had to shake Peter and say, okay, that's the privilege of your host culture. Um, And in order for us to welcome new people into the culture that is now going to emerge, you're going to have to shake off some things that were part of the privilege that you inherited in your family and by your faith and even by your following Jesus in the first place. The second thing that I identify about uh, the host culture phenomenon is simple practice. So if we can begin to identify how we are in whatever realm, the host culture, And that might be just where you live. You may be surrounded by people who have come from other countries in the world. Um, It may well be as a church, as people come and perhaps go to the clothes without cost store downstairs, or they happen in here. Um, Many of us are now the host culture that needs to learn some lessons. And wherever you are, is it work, is it school, is it Milton, is it Southside, If we are part of a host culture, we need to understand that there are privileges that that we take for granted, that nobody necessarily knows how to do what you do. So for example, one of the reasons we wanted to design this place this way is that when people come, it's not a strange place. Like it's not a, if you come in here, you have to, you know, take your shoes off, you have to talk quietly. we want this place to be as familiar as it possibly can be so that we as the host culture can welcome a whole new culture so that they shouldn't have to learn how to do religious things to be part of a religious organization. And many of us grew up in churches where, you know, as little children, we were told not to run in church. You know, it's okay to run in here. I think the kids have already figured that out, right? You know, it's okay to talk back in here. You know, it's okay to to get up and walk around in here. It's okay to go to the kitchen and get some coffee in here. You don't have to talk in hushed tones. There's not an altar, which is where God is, right? There's not even a stage where we perform religion for you. We're all here together because we are together. And we want anyone who comes along not to have any blocks in the way in 
to to the fellowship of of um, the family that that God is designing. And I love what Ranza said that God will never put anything in the way of anybody wanting to come. Everybody, everybody is welcome. The practice then of people who know that they're the host culture needs always to be a very careful practice of welcome and hospitality. Um, Our arms should be always open to say welcome. The practice of this host culture, as it changes and changes and changes, and as more people become part of that culture, the practice that we love is the practice of hospitality that says you're welcome here. Please come and sit down with us here. Please come and have a meal with us here because we know that it is much more comfortable for us here at the moment than it is for you. And so let us make ourselves a little uncomfortable. Some of us don't love um, you know, socializing, don't love making new friends, but remember that anybody who comes, they have happened upon a privileged host culture And it is our burden, our responsibility to welcome them. And what Peter was needing to learn is that all of the people that God was going to reach his arms around in in the world um, were going to get there because Peter was willing to be uncomfortable. Peter was willing, for the first time in his life, to eat pork. Right? I've never eaten pork. Never will. Don't think the taste of it must be any good at all, or God wouldn't have told us not to eat pork. Well, Peter, you're going to eat pork. Peter, you're going to do things that you were told, even in your religion, you were told not to do. And we need to understand that that's what we have to be open for as well. I mean, maybe God is going to ask us to do things that we were told in church you're not allowed to do. Um, Maybe God's going to say, yeah, I I know that's what you grew up with, and it was well-meaning, but it's not necessary. And maybe it's even um, an impediment to the culture that I want to grow. If you were told, uh, you know, that the men sit over here and the ladies sit over here, well, that's just not practical in this new culture. We're all together. If you were told that women are not allowed to teach, well... I I know that's the way some of us grew up. You are allowed to teach. The Holy Spirit did not make a mistake giving you the gifts of teaching. Like Ranza? Should we say, Ranza, no, don't be teaching men in here. We We don't do that. How much we would miss. And so the things that even we learned in religion... For the sake of the the beautiful new kingdom that is coming and already here... We say, okay, let's eat pork. Okay. Let's mix it up. Okay, let's allow everyone to express their gifts. Let's all of us explore the adventure that is the church. Privilege exists just because that's the way things are. The practice has to be the practice of hospitality. And the priority has to be love. We're going to just keep saying that over and over again. That nothing trumps love. Nothing trumps love. In the Bible, there are very few things that God is said to be, you know, sort of substantively. We're told what God is like, what God does. But there are only two things that 
we're told God is. And one of them is that God is love. So that has to trump a whole lot of other things. That has to trump judgment. That has to trump um, condemnation. That has to trump exclusion. That has to trump uh, all kinds of other things because that's what God is. And if we are going to be the followers of Christ, then the things that we need to make as priority in our community have to be the characteristics of love. Um, And love is not just liking. Liking is good. But love is deeper than liking. Liking often comes after love. When you realize that you're called to love and that the Holy Spirit is actually in you to prompt your love. Um, And you meet someone and you think, I I don't know that I could ever love that person. Well, God says, just watch. And and God will sometimes just sort of arrange circumstances um, so that people you thought you might not love, you actually love. I've had a great privilege of going to lots of countries, and there are a few countries that I would not have wanted to go to. And what has turned out is that they are now my favorite places. Crazy. Um, because when, when the Spirit of God um, quickens the love that is yours by nature, now that you're a new creation, when the Spirit of God quickens that and you find that you do naturally and immediately love people, then you find reasons that you actually like them. And God says, yeah, that's how my family works. Because the priority in my family is love. And when love opens the door, then all kinds of grace and mercy and kindness um, rush in through the door as well. The whole phenomenon of host culture um, is one that in, in missions we have come to learn better than we once did. So as Gentiles, uh, as they were called, were welcomed into the family, um, there were things that were changed up in favor of the Gentiles. So you know the Gentiles were called the uncircumcised. And one of the things that was a sticking point for the early Christians was that, well, if Gentiles are going to become people of faith, they have to get circumcised, right? Uh, No. Seriously? They don't? No. Circumcision is something you you talk to your children about, right? We had a Bible study group way back in Vancouver, and there was a German lady in the the group. And she only just come to Christ, and we read something about circumcision, and I heard her say to her husband, um, the German word, versticken or something, because she's, was? Was? And he said, I'll, I'll tell you when we get home. Um, but Paul and Peter um, quickly made it clear that it was not necessary for Gentiles to be circumcised. Things would be changed in favor of the inclusion of Uh, the people who will now be part of the host culture. The mistakes that we made early on in missions um, had to do with imperialism. We would just call it that. that We believed that when people became Christians from African countries or whatever it is, that they would also be required to take on the Christian way. So I, I remember... 
being up way up north in Kenya, where there was a, a tribe of beautiful people, um, loving people, and many of them had come to Christ. And I enjoyed um, eating with them. I enjoyed learning from them, going to their shambas, which they called the little place that they made their home. And on the Sunday, we went to church. And it was the strangest thing to walk into a church and find that it was a, a building of stones with pews all facing forward and a pulpit at the front. That was not at all true to the culture of those people. But it was, it was the baggage that we brought along. On the other hand, um, many of you will remember Fim, Philip Timothy, who um, uh, Phil and I got to go and see in, in India. And among the Sora people, um, thousands of them have come to Christ. And Phil and I were there for a literal feast of tabernacles, or the feast of tents. When they all come down from the mountains and they build a makeshift chapel, like a makeshift tent, to, to be true to what they have picked up um, somehow from actually the stories in the Bible. And everybody moves in to have these great meetings. And as we were there, um, Philip's father had been an evangelist in that, in that region his whole life without there ever being a convert to, Christ, to Christianity. Philip reaped the harvest and thousands of believers um, come down every year. We, as Phil would say, we saw hundreds of people baptized before breakfast one morning as they literally queued up at one side of a dirty river and were baptized and came out the other side of that dirty river, praising God and, and Philip saying, um, you know, this, this is what the Lord is doing. And I, I said, Phil, do you know that this isn't happening all over the world? And he said, it isn't? Surprise to him. Why would God not? be reaching into whole tribes. But the lovely thing about that feast of tents or tabernacles was it was completely true to these folks. Um, they were living in little tents away from the big tabernacle, and they would do all the things they did, and their worship was true to them. Um, the music they sang was their music. The dances they danced were their dances. They weren't told that, well, now that you're Christians, you have to stop doing a lot of those things because they don't belong in, in Christianity. The things that really belong in Christianity are simply the gospel. And the gospel um, is something that we are not willing to negotiate, but we are willing to give it different clothes, right? The clothes of the gospel, we have unfortunately, as host culture, um, as Western Christianity, we have put clothes on the gospel that actually betray the fact that it is not actually good news. Because that's what gospel means, good news. Here's the good news. You can come to know God, know his love through Jesus Christ, but you must. Here, here's the list of rules. Here, here are the, the practices that must be part of your life. And it's like God would look down and shake his head and say that. No. It's supposed to be good news. Good news. How is this good news to people? How is it good news to people if they're told that the things that are not moral, the things that are just neutral, the, the things that are just life, how is it good news if you say they have to stop doing that? 
How's it good news if you say, you know, uh, park your Harley outside and don't go back to it? You can't ride a motorcycle anymore if you're a Christian. Goodness, Orville would not have survived, right? Or Dave. When I was in college, I worked in a church. The church was strangely called Church of the Open Bible. And we had a coffee house. And there was one um, situation in which a young man came to Christ in the coffee house. But he had long hair. Because back in those days, well, we'll not even talk about hair. So I, I brought him to church the next morning. And my pastor met us at the door. And he said, young man, when you get a haircut, you can come back here. He didn't come back. That same pastor would um, shout at children and young people at the communion service if they were chewing gum. Because that was um, not paying respect to the body and blood of Christ if you would chew gum at communion. Come on. And how many people are grieved by the fact that the good news isn't so good when you realize that it's clothed with a bunch of other stuff. So is there a privilege? Yes, there is. That's just what culture is. It's, it's our being at home. But we have to understand that every time we fix home to be universal for everyone, um, there are people who will not feel at home. And so we have to learn that there are practices that will help us take down anything that would stop people from feeling at home with us. We need to be led by love, solely by love, and we need to make our place of worship a place that is open, where everyone is welcome. Um, we need to open our lives to one another and say, um, you're welcome into my life, into my family. And if, if I can talk to the Caucasians who are here, it is people who are not Caucasian who are much, much better than we are at opening their lives and homes. It's a surprise. Um, uh, we led a, a church that, that was full of newcomers to Canada. There were like 50-some nations of origin. And the thing that I heard more often from people who were immigrants to Canada or newcomers to Canada was that it was more than two years before they were ever invited into a Canadian home. And hospitality in the world is a value that is more commonly embraced than it is here. So when people think that they're hearing good news, and yet they feel that they're not welcome, um, what a shame that is, because we have put some clothes on the good news that don't belong on it. And if there's one thing that we maybe all ought to just commit ourselves to is to say, okay, in some way or other this week, I'm going to open my life, my door, my house, my car, whatever, to people that are not like me. Because the journey to our becoming the thing that is even better than like me is like Jesus like what God is up to as he builds his church and as the kingdom that's already here and coming becomes something that is getting more and more entrenched and the gospel just gets to look different over and over and over again lest we entrench it in clothes that it doesn't want to wear. Why don't we pray?
Father, for the story about Peter, we thank you for the way that it just fits into the narrative of Scripture, helps us understand the thing that you are doing. Um, and certainly as, as Peter was baffled by being told to do something he thought wasn't religiously allowed, um, help us as well, Father, to understand that there are places we were told we were not allowed to go that we should have been told to go because the gospel needs to get in there. There are people that we were told we're not allowed to relate with, and we need to because the good news needs to enter their lives. So, Father, we pray that the, the simple practices of hospitality, welcome, and, and love um, would mark us so that when people do encounter us, and they realize that we are part of a host culture um, that is somehow or other a faith-based culture, might they discover the, the joy that resides in that culture? And m might they be used by you to shape it just a little bit more into the thing that will please you and delight you? In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. <laughs>